Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the Stuff We Love Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. For today's episode, we are extremely pleased to be joined by John, also known as C.WDW on Instagram. On that Instagram account, John posts amazing content from around the parks, pictures, videos, and more. One extra special thing John does is post full-length footage of ride-throughs of some of Disney's most popular attractions via IGTV. In addition to his Instagram, John has also run five Walt Disney World marathons, two Star Wars half marathons. John is an extremely interesting person with an amazing array of Disney-related knowledge. All in all, we are so glad to be able to speak with him. So, John, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. My first podcast, and I'm very excited. Well, we're excited to have you. So why don't you start by just telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I am originally from up north and uh, moved to uh, just a couple miles away from Florida about two years ago and uh, spend a lot of time in the Disney parks. So, John, uh, this is Scott. We're thrilled to have you on the show. We're very excited to talk with you today about the wide variety of topics that we have planned to discuss uh, before we continue, I just want to tell our audience a little bit about Autoslash. The Stuff We Love podcast is sponsored by Autoslash. That's a website that you visit if you are either interested in renting a car or already have rented a car but would like to save money on that car rental. And, you know, personally speaking, when I rented cars in the past, I always kind of had a bad feeling that I was overpaying for that particular car rental. In my conversations with people who have rented cars on recent vacations, I always hear them say, that the car rental cost was always the most surprisingly high financial expense of their trip. When I first heard about Autoslash and how they can save you a ton of money on your next car rental, I was pretty skeptical. After all, there are so many car rental companies out there with so much competition. How can the average person know whether or not they're getting a good deal? Well, I'm here to tell you that for me, Autoslash saved me $200 on my next car rental. They are amazing, and many of my friends have been using them to save money as well. So here's how it works. So when you book at Autoslash, they apply every coupon code to your rental. So they search a wide range of codes, including publicly available codes and special membership codes, only if you indicate you're a member of Costco, AAA, or other memberships like credit cards or frequent flyer programs. Autoslash will keep you posted on any better deals they find in advance of your trip. They keep looking for better deals right up until you pick up, which is absolutely great because rates often drop as the pickup date approaches. So if they do find a lower rate, they'll email you in advance so you can rebook and save money. We chose Autoslash to be our first podcast sponsor because we all love to travel and feel that renting a car enhances the vacation experience. We do not want to overpay for car rentals, and therefore we feel very strongly that Autoslash is a wonderful way to save you money on your car rentals. And a great way to sum up Autoslash is from a Facebook review, quote, this is a fantastic service that in a few short minutes found a lower price than what took me hours of searching and trying coupon codes, and then tracked that reservation and found an even lower price a few days before the trip. I ended up saving hundreds of dollars, end quote. And Scott, I know we had Dan on last week to discuss the Beatles podcast, and he was saying how he also saved money on Autoslash. Is that correct? That's correct. Dan has been on the show a few times talking about the Beatles with me. He has two trips coming up this year. One is to Kentucky, and the other one is to Miami. He used Autoslash for both of those trips and saved a ton of money on his car rentals, and he heard about Autoslash through the podcast. So that's a perfect example of what we're talking about. And for all of our listeners, visit them online at autoslash.com and learn how you can save money on your next car rental. And so I wanted to start, John, by just asking you, how did you first um, get involved with Disney? Like when you, was a, you were a little kid, you started watching the movies. How did you come in contact with the parks? What was that process like for you? Well, to be honest, I, I wasn't that into Disney movies as a kid. As a, as a teenager, I saw... Beauty and the Beast in the in the theaters, and I was about 16, and that one really spoke to me. I I, I went back and saw it three or four times. I made all my friends go, which oh, wow. you know, I'm surprised they listened to me. But <laughs> and I never made it to a park until I was about 20, probably mm -hmm. first time I ever saw Disney World, and I knew nothing about it. And I went with somebody at the time and. If I could only go back in time, I, I walked right past Horizons, didn't go on. <laughs> I no. did ride Journey into Imagination, the original, and, you know, thought that was really an unbelievable ride. But, you know, I really didn't think much about it after that either. But 
John, what so, was the first Disney park you went to on that trip? I would say the first park I went to was the Magic Kingdom. And I remember I really wanted to get out of there because of the hectic feel and children everywhere. And, you know, I'm a 20-year-old guy there with his girlfriend and I'm not uh, you know just kids everywhere I wanted to get out of there but we sure. did do a few of the classic rides and I took some pictures and mm-hmm. I do remember the second park we made it to Epcot and that felt so great to mm-hmm. have the open expanse and the relaxing music and that I just thought was more my cup of tea so, John, would you say it was that first trip that you fell in love with Disney, or was it on return trips that you really fell in love with? Honestly, I think the first trip kind of put a seed in the back of my head. I didn't I didn't knowingly think that I even wanted to go back to Disney. And, you know, years later, I got married, and I had a daughter, and we planned one trip to take her back. That's where it started. That was about five years after my initial trip that... You know, we just loved Disney, and I took my, uh, at the time, two-year-old daughter there, and, you know, we took her on Small World and all those rides that I didn't go on when I was 20. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and I got to see it through her eyes, and, you know, we kind of got obsessed and started wanting to go two, three times a year, and eventually bought Vacation Club, and it was pretty much not our only vacation, but mostly our only vacation. John, tell us about when you moved to Florida, where you moved, and what was it like? What was your process like, and how long it took? Well, honestly, since those early days, um, when my daughter was two, three, four, and so on, whenever we'd return from a Disney trip, we'd have a feeling that, you know, we left our home instead of Instead of the other way around, we'd kind of feel, have an empty feeling when you get back from vacation. And I I know that's normal. And I do all, I did all the things. I listened to podcasts and, you know, go on message boards. And I looked at all the things that were available at the time. And over the years, my wife always kept saying, why don't we move there? And I was like, well, because money, (laughs) it's not that easy. We, We really aren't, weren't in a position to do it. And over the years, we always talked about it. She would show me houses. And eventually, my daughter, she was 16, and I used to tease her sometimes and say, if we lived in Florida, we could go to Epcot today. And, you know, one day she decided that she would want to move, too, because our plan at that point was wait until she graduates, which I'm sure is a common plan. When Once your children graduate, then you can move to Florida. And that's kind of where we settled on as a as a uh, halfway meeting point there. And then when she said that, my wife was like, well, let's move. And one of the pieces of the puzzle that I forgot to mention, a very important one, a few years prior to this, I found a job where I could work at home. And that's one of the most important keys that I found because I I they wouldn't have given me a loan saying I'm going to move to Florida and I don't have a job. Yeah. Right. So I was able to find a job in what I do working from home full time. I did it for a couple of years and they were good with it. And the place that I chose to move, it's in Kissimmee and it's, it's two miles from Disney world. One of the reasons I chose to move here is there are a lot of vacation rentals in the neighborhood. It's a mix of vacation and permanent residence. But I figured if it turned out to be a mistake, I have my undo button. I can rent this house, move back to Pennsylvania or a third location because I would be able, this house would pay for itself basically. So it was more of a, it, it was a hedged bet. Like I, I didn't just go sure. all in. Yeah. That, that's really interesting, John, because I know so many of our listeners and myself, we always think about what it would be like to move to Florida, how it's able to be done. For people who are big fans of Walt Disney World but don't live there, there's always a d- desire to be there as much as possible. And so I think that was a very uh, interesting discussion on how it happened for you. And uh, I guarantee many of our listeners are going to be jealous of you. <laughs> yeah, I, I I hear that a lot. And like I said, it was a... Uh, it was a long-term goal, and I, I I didn't necessarily meet every goal in a row, but I kept my eyes open for opportunity, and the working at home thing was one of the big opportunities that when I saw it, I, I thought to myself, this, this is one of the keys that's going to allow me 
to move to Florida, mm-hmm. you know. And so, it, like like I said, it's one of those things that. And before I left too, uh, it 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 wasn't all easy. I had to first pay off my car, get rid of my credit card debt, all that kind of stuff. So it did take some sacrifice, some working hard, some some uh, focus on getting myself in a position for the bank to say, all right, we'll give you a loan for a second house. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, without sure. being wealthy, it's hard to do. It, 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 it really was. But again, I had to get rid of all the smaller debt, have no other payments. And, and oh, and I sold my vacation club, which oh, really? helped. Because <laughs> I figured up if I'm gonna, I would have loved to have kept it, and we all felt bad. We were vacation club members since 2008, and you know we loved it. But when you live two miles from the park, vacation yeah. club, it's not. You just Doesn't don't need it, and you know we couldn't afford to keep it and move. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And John, but, now that you're living near Disney, how has your park going changed? Do you go every week? Do you go every month? I mean, how how frequently are you there? And how has it changed the way you view Walt Disney World? Well, that's part of the reason that I live two miles. There are a lot of uh, beautiful places to live that are about an hour away, 40 minutes away, and you can live a lot cheaper, too. But my wife wanted to work for Disney World, was part of the move and, you know, basically her personal goal. And my goal was if I'm going to live in Florida in such a hectic, busy area, I want to be able to go to the parks whenever I want, not, you know, plan it for a weekend. So I can get, I timed it one day. I can get to the, uh, the toll booth at Epcot, the ticket, the parking booth in about 10 minutes. I can get to animal kingdom in about seven minutes and I, and I can get to magic kingdom. Well, at least the parking lot in about 12 minutes or the contemporary in about 12 minutes. And, that's what I was going to say, too. I'd recommend renting a car at Walt Disney World to go along with your sponsor because these buses, I don't know what they're doing, but they're just sightseeing. When they're when they're t- telling you it's going to take you 30 minutes to get to the Magic Kingdom and, and 40 minutes to get to Disney Springs, they're just sightseeing because it takes about 10 in any direction you go. It's just – it's That's a good uh, point. I, I recommend a rental car definitely for pretty much everywhere down there. Mm-hmm. Scott, you usually use a rental car when you're down in Florida, don't you? Yes, I've uh, rented cars on pretty much every trip except for a couple where I've just relied on Ubers. But uh, John, like you said, I find the bus service to not really be great. I've, I, it's very frustrating to, let's say, be at your bus stop at the hotel at 8.30 in the morning and you're not getting to any of the theme parks until 9.20, 9.30 because of all the stops they make and the length of time it takes. So for me, I like the freedom of having a car. When it's dinner time after riding, after going to the parks during the day, you're able to just hop in your car, maybe go to Disney Springs at your own timetable on, on your schedule. And it just, I find that once you've rented a car, it's very hard to go there and not rent a car. I, I, I've stayed at... A wilderness Lodge, Contemporary, and not, I, I, I was very displeased with how slow the bus service is, how often the boats aren't running. Like, I thought I could jump on a boat and just zip to the Magic Kingdom whenever I want, but so often when I went to do it, there was some reason that the boat was temporarily not there, the monorail was temporarily not there, already filled when it showed up, or mm-hmm. just I, I've had a lot of problems in general with Disney transportation, and I've never had a problem driving anywhere. So right. I, that is, I definitely, uh, definitely am all for the car rental thing. And for people thinking about moving to Disney sometime, it gives you a chance to go off property and see where there is to live. So. Right. True. Yeah. So, John, uh, after going, like you said, a couple times a year to now being able to go pretty much any time you wanted <laughs> – What's it like in terms of the frequency? So do you find yeah. the same enjoyment when you're at the parks going so many times? Or do you not find as much enjoyment as when you only went a couple times a year? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. And the short answer is it is just as enjoyable. And uh, <laughs> the long answer is I go usually two to three times a week. And usually a that's maximum awesome. a maximum of usually two to four hours and I'm getting tired. I'm ready to be done. And, you know, a lot of people feel like that on vacation too, but then the, 
the uh, thought kicks in that I'm only here for a week. I have to see it all, but I don't. So I literally will go to Epcot during festivals. I'll show up at seven, do a slow walk around the entire world showcase, eat dinner and maybe ride a ride, maybe not and walk out. And just the enjoyment of that never goes away. And there's always the new festival, you know, the festival, of the arts is great. The holiday festival is great. Uh, they're all great and enjoyable in their own way. And even living here and going as often as I do, I don't get to see and do all, all the stuff I'd like to do because I still have to sure. work and even going multiple times. It's just, and another, another great thing about living here that a lot of people, you don't hear a lot about it is when it's really busy at the parks, I've already gotten together with a couple neighbors and we go to pop century and we walk around, look at the, look at all the, uh, the uh, cool um, artwork. Then we go over to the art of animation and get a gelato, take pictures of all the giant statues and sure. cool areas and the little mini cars land. And, you know, an evening like that is great. I've done it at the yeah. Coronado Springs, just walk around the big lake and just watch the sunset going down over the, and it Disney doesn't mind that at all. And mm -hmm. when the parks are too crowded, it's even more fun to just go visit a resort, maybe get a snack and just to that's... walk around and be there. And you get to see a lot and appreciate a lot more. And that's where I started taking more videos doing that too. Cause it's just a, a lot of people yeah. don't have time to do it as much as they'd love to. That's a good point. And I think it's funny because you think that if you live in Disney, then you won't spend any time at the hotels. But you realize a lot of the times when you're traveling on vacation to the parks and you stay at the hotels, you never have time to do just what you said, to like walk around the hotels and the uh, you know the areas around them and really just watch the sunset and relax. So that's that's a great point. It's, it's not just the oh, parks. Yeah. It's the hotels, too, you get to enjoy. Yeah, we have friends that go to the beach club and watch the the movie at, at or no not the or the the the, the boardwalk has a big yeah, open area yeah. with the they play games they play movies there's live entertainment and you know if you if you can find a, a good place to park you can always go over there mm -hmm. and yeah it's yeah. and and yeah and a good example of that is the the dolphin hotel i've been looking at that for about 20 years i just went into it like a like a couple months ago it was the first time i ever went in and it was pretty cool every it, it had an old you know an old 80s feel to it like the original epcot like the the i really did enjoy it and i just did a video of that now too recently because i thought to myself i wonder how many other people have seen the swan and dolphin from the road have walked past it at the resort but who has time to go walk into a non-disney resort that they're not even staying at you know <laughs> not a lot of people sure. so i figured i must not be the only one so that's sure so that that leads me to my next question. Um, in terms of the videos, when did you start the create your account? When you started like posting pictures and videos, when did that kind of begin, and how did you have the idea to do that? Well, a couple of years ago, I I had the idea of it because I would go on Disney vacations and I would post so many pictures and videos on my Facebook. And they would start out with you know some likes from friends and family, and by like day three. No, nobody wanted to see Disney stuff anymore. No matter what I put <laughs> up, they were just like, pass, you know, nobody's yeah. interested. And I told, I mentioned to my daughter, who was like 16 at the time, I, I said, I said, I should, we should just make an account just for Disney pictures that if you want to see them, you, you can see them instead of harassing our friends and family, you know, <laughs> making them look at them. And her being very Instagram savvy said, what do you want to call it? And just made it up right there. And she's like, here you go. We started it. And we started it with no fanfare at all. Just started. I started posting pictures there with very few followers. And like I said, it was, a, it's a very slow grow. And what, what it was at first was like, if you look at the first year of my Instagram account, I don't know if you can even look at them like that, but from the beginning, you can see, all my trips to Disney because every time I would go to a park, I would post pictures, I would post videos and they were all from the parks. And, you know, I did that for a long time. And now 
I don't do that because I get a lot of videos and the longer ones I have to do at home because Wi-Fi at the parks will never let you upload a 10-minute video. It's just right, not. Sure. So I started saving them and trying to space it out more to be a little more professional instead of not hearing from me for three days and then all of a sudden getting 20 pictures and videos up <laughs> at once. So. Sure. Uh, I over time I did that I've made changes and started and I you know when I discovered what IGTV was I I, I saw somebody else did one and I and I remember thinking how did they do such a long video on Instagram I have only ever done a minute and so I realized that IGTV existed and then I saw it doesn't it didn't have a lot of uh, people using it and the picture was just great like when I would post a video I would look at it myself and I would think to myself it's like looking through a little window into the park and so I started to use it more because I liked it and I'm not a professional Instagrammer so I know a lot of a lot of those guys didn't adopt the IGTV right away because mm -hmm. there's no way to monetize it and I don't get any money so I was fine with that and I liked the look of it and I thought Maybe if I'm lucky, I will. Uh, other people will like it too, and maybe I'll get big, big enough that someday it will be monetized. But either way, I I mainly I do it. I do it for uh, fun, basically, and because I really like to hear people when they say how much they enjoyed it, how much it made their day, and it's just such a difference between that and my friends and family being sick of seeing another <laughs> video, you know, there's people somewhere saying, Oh, thank you so much. This really made my day. And, you know, it's a, it's a Monday morning and monorail Monday. They sometimes it, it makes people's <laughs> yeah. day just to hear a little Epcot music and watch the monorail go by and dream of a future vacation <laughs> instead of where, what they're doing. And I was there for so long too, that I know how it feels. And I, that's another reason that, I feel like I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm doing great, but I'm doing well because I know what caught my eye and what I like and how I felt when I look at it and how I felt being far away. And now that mm -hmm. I'm there, I'm just trying to share the little bits and videos that I, I would have loved to have seen on a Monday morning at work and a thousand miles away. What, what really would have kept me going <laughs> till my yeah. next Disney trip, so... I think you're exactly right. It does have a big impact on people. Like I know Scott and I both love seeing the uh, walkthrough, like you said, the Swan and Dolphin. And so it, it goes to show how amazing Disney is that just like a 10-minute video could have such a great impact on someone's day. And so you're doing, you're doing, your growth is tremendous, and you're doing tremendous work by posting these videos because it really does make a positive impact on people's lives. Yes, I echo that, Jack. And you know, as we're talking, I have the C.WDW account open on my phone here. <clears throat> and I'm really just amazed at the high quality of the photos and the videos. And yeah. I wanted to ask you, John, what equipment do you use to uh, take these pictures and videos? Well, that's a little embarrassing. And <laughs> just an iPhone wow. uh, XS. And I, I, I recently upgraded to the XS. And uh, although I did actually, this my first real purchase to help the videos, I bought a uh, three-axis gimbal which is how I'm able to walk around oh. and try to get, and I'm just learning to do it smoothly. So it's taken me a while. Just this past weekend at Epcot, I figured out I don't need to press the button to turn. I can turn my wrist a little and it will intuitively smoothly turn. And again, I'm learning every day with it when I, when I use it. And so the, the first ones were a little robotic, but I'm getting smoother at it. It's pretty Disney amazing though. Yeah, because they're really, I mean, for me personally speaking, I used to always go with a camera to the parks. Not a, not a phone camera, but a regular camera. And I still do bring that for some of my nighttime photography there. But recently on my uh, trips to Walt Disney World and Universal Studios, I'm using my iPhone. I have the iPhone 10, the iPhone X, and I find that the photos and video I get from that are just really great. Who would have ever thought we would have on us at all times a camera that could take great photos and videos like you've taken and we... and Jack, you've taken and I've taken. It's really remarkable what technology yeah. has done to our Disney World trips. I, I do hope that uh, IGTV continues and works because, like I said, I 
if I if I look at my own videos and and I'm interested in watching, that's really good quality. Like mm-hmm. I just, yeah. I really I really do believe that. Like that's that's what really made me want to do more because it, it's I I like I see on Facebook it's it's not quite as good and a, mm-hmm. a lot of and I know there's other ways to do it, but IGTV seems to be consistently high def good videos and yeah. you know I'm I'm sure yeah. that. They're not perfect, but I'm sure they'll keep making improvements on them. John, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I mean, you've offered such incredible insight, not only to moving to Disney, but life at the parks and your experiences there. And so like we mentioned, if you want to follow John, you can check him out at c.wdw. And so that's C as in like you're looking. So S-E-E dot W-D-W on Instagram. You can check him out there for all the amazing content that he possesses. But John's going to be sticking around with us as we go through the rest of the episode. We're going to transition now to talk about some of the recent news stories that have come out. So the first is from Rotten Tomatoes. So Rotten Tomatoes posted an article titled, We're Introducing Verified Ratings and Reviews to Help You Make Your Viewing Decisions. And so basically how it works is Rotten Tomatoes is going to confirm what movies you've actually seen before you can make a review of that. So traditionally with Rotten Tomatoes, any person can just go on Rotten Tomatoes and give their re- uh, review out of five stars for what they thought of the film. But going forward, you have to actually verify that you saw the movie. And how they do that, I'm not exactly sure, but you have to verify it. And so some people are concerned with this. There have already been concerns on Rotten Tomatoes that they edit their critic score, for example, to like promote certain films from bigger companies. So Say, for example, like we're talking about Disney produces a new movie and they want it to have better writing on Rotten Tomatoes to make people more likely to see it. There are concerns that Rotten Tomatoes takes that into account when they make their score because you can't really see exactly how many reviews there are and what each review is. You only see like the top ones. So people are concerned that this is now another way to censor what uh, regular people are saying about the movie. So one comment here uh, that got several upvotes on that article um, says, Rotten Tomatoes was never really relevant. It's even worse now. They are as legit as a game informer, paid by big studio to manipulate reviews. We already saw how more than once they removed, re- removed reviews of movies. It was only the beginning. Well, guess what? I watched a lot of mov- movies on from pre- free pre-screening, which allows me to review sometimes more than a week before it gets re- released. Now my review won't really matter. So people are concerned with this off- just because they fear that it's going to lead to a little bit of censorship. Uh, Scott, what do you think? So in the past, have you trusted... Uh, Rotten Tomatoes for your reviews for movies. I know we use them a lot on our site when we're trying to get uh, an opinion. Do you go to other sites such as IM, uh, IMDb? And what do you think of this change? Do you think it's going to affect how you look at Rotten Tomatoes? Or will you not really care too much about it? Jack, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> I have to try to remember <laughs> everything you asked there. But uh, what I could say is that uh, I have very frequently gone to Rotten Tomatoes when deciding what movies to see. And uh, there are many instances where if I see a movie has a Rotten rating, It'll turn me off from seeing the movie, and I won't see it. But, for example, with Aladdin, which opened in theaters uh, last night, that has, at least as of earlier today, a 60% critic approval. So that's a pretty good score. It's not an 80%, not 90%, but it's enough to sort of make me feel like I'm making a good decision to uh, by going to see it. Uh, in terms of a new story that we're talking about here tonight... It just seems very strange. There's always, It's always kind of been a little difficult to use Rotten Tomatoes because there's this aspect of the critic score and then the audience score. So I, I don't understand how this is all going to play out in helping, make, in helping movie viewers like us make informed decisions. I don't know how this is all going to play out. I quite frankly even find what Rotten Tomatoes is doing to be a little bit confusing. It's it's not really resonating with me. I do, of course, also have their censorship concerns. One thing I will just say, generally speaking, about movies is that there have been many instances where something will get bad reviews from the critics. And I'll see it, and I'll think to myself, I can't believe the critics gave that a bad review because I love it. And that's not just with movies. It's with theater and music and books. It's any type of entertainment that we consume. So I would caution our audience if they continue to use Rotten Tomatoes, which I think we all will at this point, uh, just take it with a grain of salt and uh, be mindful that whatever score is up there doesn't mean that's going to be your personal score for the movie. That's a good point because often there are times when the I, I often look at the audience score more so than the critic score in terms of viewing my importance of the movie because I'm not a film critic. Like I don't look for the same stuff that they do when they're watching the movie. I just kind of see if like as a regular person would they enjoy it. Right. So it's it's going to be something to watch for sure how that kind of plays out in the site. Totally. I I have one thing to add to that. 
Absolutely. I don't, I don't know what your thought what thoughts were. Rotten Tomatoes, to me, and this is just somebody who just thought about it right now, they were pretty right on a few years ago. And over the past couple of years, they seem to, to skew to public opinion or... And one of my biggest disappointments was I saw The Greatest Showman, and it was a great movie. I thought, like, I yes. I couldn't I couldn't tell you anything wrong with it, and it was rotten. And I I was just I was very surprised. And I've seen some movies in the past year that were in the '90s that I left the theater thinking, meh, I I, I wasn't really moved. Like, I really expected a lot more. So I feel like there's a little bit of I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know if it's political. I don't know what, but they're, they don't seem to be that honest. But what I do, I definitely would believe the uh, people's review over the critics any day because that usually seems to be much more accurate. Like, I don't, the yeah. critics anymore, I just, if coming from a regular guy, I don't really care what they say anymore. It's just too <laughs> yeah. all over. Yeah, uh, John, I'm really glad you mentioned The Greatest Showman as well because that's one of the only examples uh, in recent years in movies where a movie is released to the public and as the movie is in theaters for a longer period of time, its box office receipts went up. Normally when a movie is released that first weekend, you're going to see whatever it earns, it's only going to go down from there. Word of mouth from audience members is what propelled The Greatest Showman. And I remember hearing Jack speak about that movie and how great it was. And I heard other people say the same thing. So, uh, Scott, you're going to take us through some other movie-related news? Yes, it was in the news this week that a movie based on Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which is a very famous video game, first released in 2003, is being written by Leda Caligridis for Lucasfilm. Uh, This was reported on a variety of sites, including BuzzFeed. And I'll be honest with you, I was actually not too familiar with Knights of the Old Republic. As a video game fan, I certainly had heard of it and knew it was very well-respected. I'm always excited for new Star Wars content and the film front, so that's something that excites me. And from what I was seeing online on Twitter and a few other places, it seems like Star Wars fans are pretty excited about the possibility of this. Yeah, I, like you, didn't really play this, but from what I've heard, people who like are really closer to that hardcore Star Wars fan love this love this video game and love the fact that this is theory in theory being made into a movie. Right. And so it's cool to see because first of all, we saw when Han Solo didn't do like amazing that they said like they're not going to plan to do an Obi-Wan movie or any other standalone movies in the future because of that. So it's interesting now to see that they're planning on making this other movie to see what where that's gonna fit in with Disney and Lucasfilm's plan for movies going forward, specifically with Star Wars, to see what they're gonna be focusing on. And the fact that they're picking a movie uh, or a topic per se, which is more uh, in favor of like the more dedicated, uh, you know, older hardcore Star Wars community. A lot of those fans are going to be very proud because their concern has been that the newer movies have been like very far from that. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see this this piece of uh, news. The next piece of news we have is from the parks. So USA Today reported that Magic Kingdom is the most attended theme park in the world with 20.8 million people coming in this past year. In Disneyland in California, it's reported that attendance was up 2%, uh, drawing an additional 50,000 people a day. And so while we don't know the exact numbers for Magic Kingdom, it can be fair to say that there are similar increases in park sizes, in attendance sizes at Magic Kingdom as well and the greater uh, Disney World community. So my question for you, John, being someone who goes to the parks so frequently, have you noticed an increase in crowd size? Have you noticed more people coming to the parks? Honestly, the crowd levels seem very varied anymore. And I get a lot of questions as to when is the best time to go. Like, I'll post a video and they'll go, wow, I'm going to go in May next time. And to be honest with you, you can go on Tuesday to Epcot and it's empty and you can walk on rides and you can go to Wednesday to the Animal Kingdom and every line is completely, you know, the whole park is just filled and it seems very difficult to gauge anymore. And I almost feel like the, uh, the usage of the uh, internet to figure out when the best time to go has all of the crowd predictions completely wrong anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, I can tell you that, in the past two years, the winter has been extremely crowded, meaning November, December, January, February, and summer has been empty. And so that's interesting. It's very, you know, very varied. And I always used to go in May, but then sometimes when you go in May, like you said, it's packed. 
And then other times you go in May, and depending on the park you go to, you it can be, you can get on rides really quickly and stuff. So it's really like you said, it's hard to to figure out. Yeah, and I'm always looking for patterns or reasons why. Like it's just in my nature. Like I I like to see patterns and what makes sense. And I haven't been able to figure out the attendance lately. Mm-hmm. It's it it I feel like it skyrockets and sinks and skyrockets and sinks. After Easter, I thought it was going to slow down for a bit. And I believe it was like two weeks after Easter, the crowds were worse than Easter, it felt oh, like to me. Like oh, everything, wow. the roads were filled, the parks were filled. And yeah. I, re- I remember thinking, I thought the busy part was over. Like, you know, the blackout dates for passes and all that were done. And it really filled up. And my 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 best guess with things like that are people with annual passes who live in other parts of Florida come after the blackout date and they all come from two three hours a day for their you know easter vacation Mm taken a little delayed of course galaxy's edge is going to open and everything's going to change again nobody's going to know what the best time is but right now the past two years the best time has been summer and everybody said avoid the summer it's crowded and hot it is hot but the crowds have not been here in the summer for two years the past two years the summer has been the most enjoyable time to go to the park because it seems like Disney staffs based on past events too. So they fully like Space Mountain, both sides will be open, mm-hmm. and you know uh, Splash Mountain, all the logs are in there to keep everything. It's like you go in Feb- February and they say, well, it's traditionally slow, so they they cut back on staffing and you wait even longer than this, oh, any other time. And so it, it, honestly, right now and. It's a it's a chess game and Disney always wins eventually. But right now, <laughs> right now, summer is the best time to go. And I have a feeling with Galaxy's Edge coming at the end of summer, people may just wait. You know, I, it yeah. could yeah. be another slow summer. I like going in the summer. I, I it, you're right, John. It is very hot then. But the good thing for me about going to Disney World in the summer is that there is a lot to do inside. So if you are outside walking around you know at some point in the near future you're going to be inside. <laughs> so I, it's really manageable for me. I, I, I do like it. I, I always say you appreciate the air conditioning much more when it's hot. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Let's talk about some stuff we love. Now we're going to do the traditional stuff we love segment that we normally do on the show where the hosts will talk about things that they're enjoying right now. But we want to know a little bit more about what our guests love. With that being said, John, are you ready to tell us about some of the stuff that you love? Yes, I am. Okay, here we go. So, John, what's your favorite movie? I would say Alien. The reason the reason is it's a it's a weird one. I I, I don't really have an all-time favorite and always was favorite. I liked Alien when it came out. I didn't watch it for a lot of years. I recently have been on a sci-fi kick and I rewatched it, you know, like a year ago and I thought it was just the greatest movie I've ever seen as an as an adult to rewatch it. It was just great and I couldn't believe when it was made and how well it held up and, you know, then I had to watch them all and I I even like the new ones like Prometheus. You don't hear much about that. No. I love that movie. There's just something weirdly good about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a great movie to watch. I remember going to see that in IMAX, and it was stunning just to see on the big screen. So that's a good choice. Uh, favorite band? Yeah, that's another one that varies a lot, and I'm usually not in a good time sequence, but I, recently, uh, I would say Sublime, and and again, this all these things change over time. Yeah. But re- recently, if I'm in the car, I will probably put something on by Sublime and just enjoy the the weirdness of it. I guess like you never know what what he's gonna sure. what what type of song he's gonna do. So. Yeah, I, I think Sublime is perfect music as we head into the summer. It's got this great feel like you're at the beach. I remember playing outside of my backyard when I was younger, listening to Sublime over and over again. So for me, it's those are some of my fondest musical memories of growing up and uh, my teenage years and hanging out in the summer. So I really like that choice, John. That's awesome. Yeah, may- maybe it's since I moved to Florida that Sublime really started growing <laughs> on me. Because like you said, it feels like a summertime, yeah. sunshine kind of band, you know. So Totally. I know what you mean. I completely do. 
Uh, Jack, why don't you ask John our next uh, Stuff They Love segment question? Sure. So now transitioning to some Disney-specific questions. John, what's your favorite resort? My favorite resort would have to be the Contemporary. And I just like it because it's original. It still has a, a little bit of that original Disney 70s feel to it if you go to the right places there. And I, I even enjoy the... Uh, the new Bay Lake Tower. I, I feel like it fits in well. I love the bridge going across. I, I love the views. Yeah. I I just ate last week for Mother's Day. I, I, I we took my wife to uh, the California Grill. The the views up there are just spectacular. What's your favorite park to go to? Well, my favorite park is Epcot. It it. it could be Magic Kingdom if it was a little easier to get to, maybe. But I just like the open feel of Epcot. I like the the waterways. I love the monorail going through it. I love the background music. I, yeah. I, I've been here two years now, and Epcot's the place I've been to more often than any. And I have never, ever walked into Epcot and walked past the Spaceship Earth or the entry and not just loved the music I, I i no matter how many times i hear it it doesn't get old it doesn't get boring i've never said when are they going to change that it's just it's just great and fitting and feels right and, yeah. and with epcot too it's also i can eat there every you know there's always a festival yeah. there's not a festival great food. You, can, you know at least uh, you know ice cream in france even if you're not hungry you can or anything yep. in, in in the bakery in france so yeah. But like I said, it's just I love it, and I'm really concerned about what they're thinking about doing to it. Disney has a tendency to not fix what's broken. <laughs> you know, they yeah. they they take something that's all right, and they that's keep, true. and then they change that. It's like every, everybody loves Soren, so they changed it. I was like, yes, wait a minute. Yep. I I was like, there is Figment over there. <laughs> How about we yeah. uh, take a look at that's that? Point. Like, that's a great so, point. I mean. It's People, Soren, the new Soren's cool, obviously. It's it's a great ride still, but, I mean, I'm personally more attached to the old one I, just because I, I, I think that one's better objectively, but I also have, you know, some just personal connections to that ride. And so you, you have a good point. Disney does often change things that don't really need to be changed and leave things that should be changed. Just, yeah. you know. The entire so Imagination cool. Pavilion is, it's cute, but it's not relevant at all. Yeah. And, and again, I don't have, I don't mind them changing Spaceship Earth, but I think they have a few other things to do first. So you know, when they're yeah. all done, then they can go. Well, we've filled. You know, interventions is a thing now, and you know, we've mm -hmm. we've uh, filled the uh, Wonders of Life Pavilion. We've made that new. We've fit, we've re redone the Imagination. Now maybe it's time to redo Spaceship Earth. Not do that first and let the others sit. I'd really. Yeah. Again, I don't mind change, but I, I like a little logic behind my change. Yeah, I agree That's with that. That's a good that. point. Are we going to stay at Epcot for your favorite ride, or are we moving to a different park? Uh, we're moving to a different park, unfortunately. Where? We, what's your it's, favorite attraction? What's your favorite ride? Eh, it has to be Splash Mountain. And I know you've heard that before. I listen to your podcast. I'm not the only one, but <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't change it just to be different. It's one of those rides that I didn't even go on it the first couple of times I went to Disney World because I looked at it and I thought, I don't like log flumes. I don't want to get soaked and it's going to mm -hmm. be terrible. And then when I finally went on it, I saw all the animatronics, the music. It's it's a it's a log flume. It's a roller coaster. It's a dark ride. It's got a little yep. thrill at the end. And I was like, by the time I got off, I was like, that's the best example of a perfect Disney ride. It's got everything. So uh, you know, you, you you walk away with the music still in your head, and it's just it's just good. So and and again, I wish it was something at my favorite park, but. Well, John, it's really interesting that you say that because for me, I like going on thrill rides. I love simulation rides. Uh, when it comes to rides with drops, I'm not a huge fan of them. So I actually did not go on Splash Mountain for many of my Disney trips. And I recently went on it for the first time a couple of years ago, and I love it. It's probably my second favorite attraction right behind the Haunted Mansion. And what I love about it is you're absolutely right. It has great animatronics, great music, and it does have a thrill element, but it's not like one of these crazy roller coasters that people just can't go on. It's not, for those that may be skeptical to go on it because they're nervous about the drop, it is 
it is a drop and it's a somewhat large drop, but it's not not difficult to do, at least not for me. I, I find that it's it looks way worse than it actually is. Yeah, I agree. I my daughter's been going on it since she was two, so <laughs> I and 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 yeah, that's what I. Not that it would help with the scary part, but I I I have the drop on my IGTV channel as well. Very cool. We'll check that out. And Jack, why don't you ask John our final uh, stuff they love question here? Sure. So the last question, I think we're going back to your favorite resort. Uh, where's your favorite place to eat? And this might be strange because you might have heard bad things about it, but the Wave is the name of the restaurant. The Wave of American Flavors, I think, is the full name of it. It's a restaurant on the ground floor of the Contemporary, and there's a few reasons I like it. I uh, I heard a lot of bad things about it, like bad reviews over time, and you know I lived here for for a while, and I I I just gave it a shot because my wife got a pretty good discount there being a cast member and so we were like yeah we'll give it a try I heard bad things that it was the best steak that i've ever had and the rolls were great the salad was unbelievable it was a it's a seasonal salad that you know it changes every time but every single thing i've eaten there was unbelievably good and you know i just ate at the california grill last week and it was good but my meal at the Wave was actually better. You know, wow. downstairs it doesn't have the same. There's no windows there. It's not a good view. But I, I think it's great. Thank you, John. These are great answers. I really enjoy that, Jack. I think we got a lot to keep in mind for our future Disney trips there. Oh yeah, I'm already writing these down. <laughs> so now we're going to turn to the traditional stuff we love segment, where everybody that's on the show, the hosts and the guests, will talk about something they're enjoying right now could be a movie, a song, an album, a book, anything in the world of entertainment. John, why don't we start with you? You're our guest, and let's let's uh, give you the opportunity to kick off this segment. Oh, thank you. Um, I think I'm going to um, talk about Aladdin, the new live-action version. I, was, I saw it last night, and I believe it was opening night, and... You know, I went in with no expectations. I, I haven't been a big fan of most of the live-action Disney movies. Most most of the time I leave with an it-was-okay attitude. Um, I was very concerned about Will Smith as the genie, as a lot of people are. And, you know, when the movie first started, I kind of had that feeling of, oh, the awkward feeling of, I hope he doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't continue yeah. like this, you know, for his sake. But it turned out he was a really great genie. Like, I didn't find myself thinking at all, oh, he's no Robin Williams or anything like that. He, he, he did the genie very well. He made it his own. He didn't go too far in any direction, but he made it fun. He made it funny. He, he did a really good job. And I was super impressed with the Aladdin and Jasmine, like the people they cast for it. I'm not a big into movie stars names, so I don't even know who they are, but I know he was a believable, um, Aladdin, you know, a likable, believable Aladdin, because if you don't like Aladdin, then the movie's just not that good. So you had to care about him and it actually worked. And, um, like I said, overall, I thought the movie was great. Everybody I went with thought the movie was great. There is one small part in there that I thought didn't quite fit that was a little odd, and I'm not going to get into it, and I'm sure you'll all see that too when you watch it, but it didn't ruin the movie. It just was a odd part that felt added, but for everything, though, was almost perfect, and I, it was much better than I ever thought it would be, and again, I'm not a disney live action fan per se so i was i i was impressed that's a great recommendation john aladdin uh opened last night and i know we are going to be seeing that movie and so many of our listeners are as well so i'm very excited to hear that you enjoyed it because we trust your disney opinions very very much <laughs> so that's awesome thank you jack so for this week for my Stuff We Love segment, I'm going to be talking about a new TV show on HBO called Chernobyl. So it's been out for about three weeks now, and it's just got amazing reviews from almost everyone who's seen it. So on Rotten Tomatoes, a time I actually agree with the critics, it got a 96% so far because the audience score hasn't come out yet. And on IMDb, a source you don't usually cite, but one I was really impressed with, 
it had over 40,000 reviews and it had a 9.7 out of 10, which is extremely high for IMDb. Yeah, very and high. So one of the reviews on IMDb, I just took a screenshot of because I thought it was a really good representative of how accurate this, this show is to depicting the events that actually happened during Chernobyl. So here, here's a review and it got close to a thousand upvotes on IMDb. So it's, hi, I'm from Kiev, Ukraine. I was born in 1983 and I was two and a half years the Chernobyl catastrophe happened. I remember the 1980s, and I can tell that the authors of this show made a great job to show every detail of what the world looked for is in the times of the Soviet Union. The telephones, the clothes, the haircuts, the cracked paint on the windowsills, even the door glass is similar to what I remember. And this is just one of the reviews of, one of, the reviews of many. So the show is extremely good, and if you're in like post-Game of Thrones depression, not having something to watch, go check out Chernobyl because it's a great, great option to fill uh, your, binge, your binging void until the new show comes out. Yeah, I've heard a lot of great things about that show, Jack. So uh, great recommendation this week. So for my stuff we love this week, I'm going to talk about a particular podcast episode that is part of the podcast series called Popcast. Popcast is uh, the New York Times music podcast show where they have on their music journalists and variety of guests talking about recent trends in music and new artists and albums and so forth. And what I liked about this one particular episode is that the entire thing was devoted to AirPods. And for those that aren't familiar with what AirPods are, they're the Apple headphones that go in your ears. And there, there are two of them. You know, They, they kind of look like earrings. There's no cord. They're Bluetooth. And you're seeing tons of people wear them. I, I was actually an early adopter of AirPods. I was told I look like an idiot. That actually is a direct quote from someone <laughs> that saw me wearing AirPods. But now everywhere I go, I see people wearing them. And I'm very much into them. They're one of my favorite tech products to come out in recent years. And on this episode, the hosts uh, talk about the history of AirPods and interview a variety of uh, tech experts and music fans about what their experiences with AirPods have been. So if you are an AirPod owner or are thinking about becoming an AirPod owner, definitely check out that episode. That's Popcast, the most recent episode all about AirPods. So that concludes uh, the, this episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. We want to thank John for coming on the show. Again, you can follow him on Instagram at csee.wdw. John, thanks for being here tonight. We had a great time with you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the invite. Uh, you can follow the Stuff We Love podcast on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod. We're on Instagram, Stuff We Love Podcast. Our website is www.stuffwelovepodcast.com. There you can find links to our recent episodes, not just recent episodes, but all of our episodes, as well as click our products page to learn more about what products we're recommending. And you can follow our Amazon affiliate link to make those purchases. It helps out the podcast when you do that. We're very proud to be an affiliate of Amazon.com. Our email address is stuffwelovepodcast.gmail.com. Write in and tell us a bit about what your recent Disney theme park experiences have been. Please leave us those good five-star reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate it, and it makes it easier for others to find our podcast. And please subscribe to us on all of your podcast platforms. So let's go around the table. Thanks again for tuning in. I am Scott. I'm Jack. And I'm John. And this has been the Stuff We Love podcast. <laughs>